open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, and as you do, want to share uh, this quote with you from uh, a man named Blaise Pascal. Some of you have heard of him from the 1600s, but he said this, happiness is the motive of every action of every themselves. <laughs> Happiness is the motive of every action of every man. Now think about that. We, we all long to be happy. And every one of us is pursuing happiness all the time. I mean, think about even things you don't want to do, at some level, while you're doing it. You're doing it because you believe it will lead to your happiness. I mean, I do not love mowing the lawn. I do not love paying bills. I mean, who loves paying bills? I just love seeing this money leave my account. I don't love exercising, but, but why do I do these things? I, I believe at some level that my happiness. Pursuing happiness can seem like trying to catch lightning in a bottle. Right, we've all learned that only fairy tales end with happily ever after. But that's not how life ends, that's how fairy tale ends. We want to be happy, we try to be happy, and every now and then we might even feel happy, but that feeling goes just as quickly as it comes. What does God have to say about this pursuit of happiness, which is one of our inalienable rights in our Constitution? What, what does God have to say about that? Well, we, might, we might expect God to condemn it, Right, to condemn the pursuit of happiness as nothing more than sinful, self-centered living. And to say, stop pursuing happiness. Start living for others. But God doesn't condemn it in Scripture. In fact, God encourages the pursuit of happiness in Scripture. Not only does He encourage the pursuit of happiness, He redirects our pursuit so that we can actually find it, so that we can actually have it, we can actually experience And, and, and he made us that longing, knowing that only he can truly satisfy that longing. And so in scripture, he comes to us, and, and he doesn't say, stop pursuing happiness. He says, start pursuing happiness in me. Start pursuing happiness in this way, so that you can actually find it, so that it's not fleeting. And we see this when Jesus comes as well. Jesus does not, does not come, though he has much to say about self-denial, about living this life uh, as, almost in a sort of death, right? He, he doesn't do that as an end in itself, but he does that to, as a means to, to a greater happiness. And we see that in the Gospel of Matthew. We see that in the Beatitudes. So we are in the Gospel of Matthew in our series, Following the Fulfillment. And we just started last week the Sermon on the Mount. Just quick review, the Sermon on the Mount gives us instructions. It tells us how to live. It, it, it gives many different types of practical commands for, for how to live and, and, and what it looks like to follow Jesus as his disciple. But it doesn't begin there. It doesn't begin with instructions. It begins with the Beatitudes. It begins with blessing. It begins with pronouncements of God's favor, which is so important because it means that God doesn't come to us and say, do these things and earn my blessing. God comes and he says, he says I, I bless you, now respond in obedience. It's, it's, it's the logic of grace that we saw last week. So we're, we're in the Beatitudes now, and we're going to go through these in, in two or three weeks here. 
and, and just slowly meditate on these blessings that Jesus pronounces at the beginning of this sermon. Let's look at Matthew 5, and as you see in, in these opening verses, one word repeating itself over and over again, right? What is that word? Blessed, blessed, blessed. What, what, what does that mean? Sounds very churchy, doesn't it? Blessed, blessed, bless you. What does it mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Literally, it means happy. I mean, that, that, that is what the word in its simplest form means. It means happy, but, but the problem is that when we talk about happy, we're, we're usually just talking about this superficial feeling, right, that, that there's, this comes and goes, this, this superficial fleeting happiness, and that's not what's being pictured. It's, it's not just the superficial feeling, but it, 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 instead it signifies a deep inward happiness. You, you might just call it joy, right? You might, you might refer to this as joy, that we experience, but, but it's this deep inward happiness, and it's rooted somewhere. It's rooted in some blessing that's been received. So every one of these Beatitudes says, blessed are this type of person, and then it tells us why they're blessed. It tells us a specific blessing they've received to, to, to lead them to this state of happiness, this state of joy. So, so, so what who is unshakably happy, unshakably happy. It's a happiness that, that can't be taken away. It's a happiness that can't be touched. It's a happiness that, that doesn't go away. Unshakably happy because they've received an unspeakable blessing from God. That, that's what it means to be blessed. I'm unshakably happy because I've received an unspeakable blessing from God. I've received an ultimate blessing. I've received a blessing that's just extraordinary, and, and no one can take it away from me, and therefore I am happy. And we shouldn't undermine happiness. I mean, the kid's song has it right. You know, I, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, and I am happy, so very happy. That's wonderful theology, right? Because we have the love of is unshakably happy. That's what the Beatitudes are telling us. They're not, they're, they're not just telling us, uh, do this and be blessed. They're saying, who, who is blessed? Who has received these blessings that lead to this unshakable happiness? And in the first three Beatitudes, here's what we see this, we're going to see this morning. In these first three, unshakable happiness belongs to the humble. Unshakable happiness belongs to the humble. Let's read these first three Beatitudes in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. These opening three Beatitudes teach us that unshakable happiness belongs to the humble, and they, and they show us this in three different ways. One observation we should make about, about the Beatitudes at the very beginning is that these are not uh, just random characteristics that, that maybe, maybe you're meek, and maybe you're poor in spirit, and maybe you're... Pure. Characterize 
everyone who has been blessed, every one of them. And the first three belong together. Unshakable happiness belongs to the humble. And the first way we see this is that unshakable happiness belongs to the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit are blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, let's just first think more simply. What does it mean to be poor? Okay? In our country, we tend to think of poor as not having much. I mean, how many of you have ever, have ever said, like, yeah, I'm really poor? Or, you know, or even said, like, we're broke. You know, maybe you have been. I'm not saying that you've never been there. But we tend, to, we tend to mean that we don't have very much compared to others. But this is understating poorness, the way that Jesus is using it. It's, it's not just not having much. It's not having anything. To be poor here is, is, is to have nothing. To be... That, that's what poor means. Now, now, then what does poor in spirit mean? Well, it means to have nothing in yourself, spiritually speaking. It means, it means to be destitute before the Lord of any good. It means to, to be destitute before the Lord of any righteousness, of any merit. Before God, you have Zero before the Lord. You have nothing. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are spiritually destitute before God. That's the attitude of saying. Now we need to think carefully about this still because the Bible teaches overall that every single one of us is in fact spiritually destitute. Everyone is blessed in this way. And so what does he mean? What is he getting at when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit? Who, who has no recourse in front of him, but he refuses to acknowledge it. Seek help. He will not seek help. This is we have when we don't. This is how we all are. Now, what does that person need to do? That person needs to acknowledge his situation. And what is that going to lead him to do? That's going to lead him to beg, right? This is is why poor people are beggars, because they realize all I can do is rely on the generosity of someone else, because I have nothing that I can do. I am poor, and I will not survive if, if someone First beatitude is calling us to do. Acknowledge that we are poor in spirit. Acknowledge that we have nothing in of ourselves. Acknowledge that we have no good, no righteousness before the Lord. Come to God acknowledging that and begging for help. Begging for mercy. Begging for generosity. Begging for grace. This calls us to be spiritual beggars before him. And you know what? The Lord is generous. The Lord is generous when we come to Him, acknowledging our spiritual poverty, begging Him for help. Look at how He responds. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Someone asking for for help. We might give Him a little money. 
Or we might buy them a sandwich. But look what God does. He gives the kingdom to spiritual beggars. He gives those who have nothing, everything. The kingdom of heaven, again, represents the redemptive reign of God. It represents the hope of God redeeming this sin-broken world and ruling over it in perfect righteousness. It represents a perfect world. And Jesus says that this kingdom belongs to spiritual beggars. This kingdom belongs to the poor in spirit. This kingdom belongs to those who come to God and acknowledge that they have absolutely no merit before him, no righteousness before him. They can't can't point their life. And I'm begging you in your generosity to bless me. And to those who have nothing, God gives everything. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Only theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven only belongs to those who come like this. There's not another category of person out there that the kingdom of heaven belongs to. Again, because we're all actually spiritually destitute. So so there is no other way. It it, it is only through coming to the Lord, acknowledging we have nothing, no merit, no righteousness, no claim on any of the blessings of God. But when we acknowledge that before him and and we beg him for mercy and grace, God is generous and he gives us his very kingdom. Unshakable happiness belongs to the humble so the poor in spirit receive the kingdom of heaven and that's why they are truly happy. And so this morning, I call you to acknowledge before the Lord that you are a spiritual beggar. Pray to him and acknowledge that before him. Say, I have nothing, Lord. I have, there, there's nothing about my life that merits your blessing. I have nothing. Acknowledge that and then receive. Second, unshakable. Happy are those who mourn. What does that mean? How does this work? Let's think about it. There's a lot of mourning. over loss, mourning over sickness, mourning over injustice, mourning over death. One of us will. Now again, does this mean everyone will be blessed? No, no, it's not. When we know that's not true, not, not everyone will be blessed. So, so what is Jesus referring to then here? Who, who are those who mourn? And there's two passages that are helpful to understand this. Uh, one is back at the Old Testament in Isaiah, chapter 61. And you can turn there. It's, it's gonna be, it'll be helpful for you to see this. Isaiah 61. This passage uh, is referring to Jesus. It's referring to the ministry of Christ as the Savior of his people, Israel, I've seen the connections between this passage and the Beatitudes, but Isaiah 61, 1-3, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, 
because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So, so we see it right there, to comfort all who mourn. So, so at this point in Israel's history, Israel is mourning. Why are they mourning? Why, why would Israel be mourning in Isaiah? They were mourning because of their sin and how it led them to exile. They were mourning because they had sinned against God and they had been judged by God and disciplined by God for that sin. And, and, and they were mourning over not just the exile, but the sin And their rebellion against God and his ways. And here, Jesus says that when he comes, he's going to comfort those who mourn. He's going to comfort those who are mourning over their sin and the brokenness that it has wreaked in their lives. That's Isaiah 61. Then the other passage that's helpful is in the New Testament, James chapter 4. The book of James, similarly, is, is very rooted in the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, it's looking back to... Four verses eight and nine. He says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And again, what, what are they mourning over? They're mourning over their sin. They're mourning over their double-mindedness. They're mourning over their... And humble themselves in this way. Talking about mourning over sin and over all that it has done. It, it, it may be too narrow to limit it only to mourning over, over, over sin, but, but it's, it's, a, it's a mourning over, over all the brokenness that sin has brought in this world and the mourning over, over sin generally, but, but the very center of it is mourning over my sin, mourning over the fact that I am part of the problem, mourning over the fact that I have rebelled against this God. You know, our culture is, is great at seeing sin, seeing evil, seeing, especially injustice, right? Our culture has, has, has uh, just the radar out for injustice, right? And, and, and rightly mourns injustice. But, but how often is there uh, the, the, the moment where everyone turns inward and says, it's me. I, I, I am a sinner. I have rebelled against God. I'm mourning over, over what I have done. That is the kind of mourning Jesus is referring to here. Personal mourning over sin and all of the effects of sin in our lives. And Blessed are those who weep over their sin. Blessed are those who, whose laughter has turned to gloom because of their sins against God. How can he say that? Why would that be a blessed state to be in? And here's why. It's because they shall be comforted. For they shall be comforted. Those who mourn over their sin will be comforted with God's forgiveness. With the word of God's grace. The word of reconciliation. 
and ultimately with the comfort Reconciliation is for those who mourn their sin, who weep over it, who are brokenhearted before the Lord because of their sin. And, and again, it's not just a brokenhearted over sin's consequences, right? We all know this. So if, if you're parents and you're disciplining your kids, you don't just want them to be brokenhearted over the consequence that you've, that you've given them, over what's been taken away from them. It's like, no, do you see what you've done in our relationship or in your relationship with your sibling, do you, do you see the relational dynamic to your sin? That's what we're mourning over is the relational break that happens with the Lord when we sin. That we grieve His heart. That, that, that we are separated from Him. And even as believers, when we sin, our, our fellowship is separated. Our, our, our fellowship is, is, is broken and, and, and interrupted. First Peter talks about God not hearing our prayers when we are in unrepentance. Consequences there might be. That's not what we're mourning over. We're mourning over the fact that, that my relationship with God has been broken in some way, and I, I need to make it right. And when we come like that, just like a parent would, when they, when they see their child truly mourning over that, what do they do? They comfort them. <laughs> Say, I forgive you. And they mourn over their sin in this way with his forgiveness and ultimately every tear from their eyes. That's comfort. That's, that's they will be comforted. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted with forgiveness now and with that full restoration of this sin-broken world with God at the very center of it being with us. That's the comfort that comes to those who mourn. So mourn over your sin before comfort and forgiveness. I'm shaking are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I also want to ask you, when's the last time that you called someone meek? We don't really use that word, right? It's a difficult word for us to understand. It's a difficult word to define. We don't really think about meekness very much. And it's a, it's a difficult word to, to, to... This could mean gentle, self-controlled, self-effacing, dependent, submissive, humble, docile... Patient, which is it? What, what, what does Jesus mean here? It's like, I'm here, I was like, well, this is not helping. <laughs> well, the problem is that every word has a range of meaning, right? I mean, define beautiful, and, and, and you're going to get quite a few aspects to that. And so we need to determine how Jesus is using this word here in this context, right? And, and one way that we can 
get there and figure out what, what does Jesus mean here when he says meek is by understanding that and they couldn't have really been rearranged. Like, for instance, you're not going to start with persecuted for righteousness' sake because that assumes that you have righteousness, but you start with poor in spirit because you have no righteousness. There's a progression from A to Z there, right? And, and so whatever meek means, it builds off of poor in spirit. It builds No, there's a progression here. So, so what, what is the progression? So if, if someone's poor in spirit, then they've come to God as a spiritual beggar, right? And, and they've received his... ...and in their sin, and they're repenting and mourning and seeking his forgiveness. And that leads to a certain posture. Just, just think about it. What is, what is, what is your posture after after coming to God in repentance, uh, when, when, when that process of repentance is, is at its completion, what is your posture in that moment before the Lord? 